Allie and the Experts Week on the Allie on the Run show is brought to you by Strava. Fun fact. Once upon a time, I walked into a Sephora for the first time and I felt so overwhelmed, I immediately turned around, walked out, and have never been back. It's a lovely store, I'm sure. People love it. I've just always been so completely overwhelmed by the beauty industry. I feel like we're in this world where we're constantly being marketed to and told we need 18 million products and creams for flawless, age-defying skin, and it's a lot. It's overwhelming. That's why I wanted to bring Dr. Rachel Nazarian on the show. Dr. Nazarian is one of New York City's most sought-after dermatologists. You can find her at Schweiger Dermatology if you're in the area. I adore her because she's not here to BS us, but she's not judgy about skin either. Case in point, she didn't lecture me when I confess that I'm prone to cystic acne, that I haven't found foolproof products that I love, and that yes, I pick at my skin constantly. You're going to adore her, so please join me in welcoming Dr. Rachel Nazarian. Dr. Rachel Nazarian, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I am so excited to pick your brain about all things skincare today. Well, I'm excited for all of the questions. This is what I do for a living, so I can't think of a better way to spend my time. Yay. All right. Well, before we jump into the questions, let's just give everyone a quick intro. Can you tell everyone who you are and what makes you qualified to be giving all this good advice? Yeah, that's a great question because there are certainly a lot of people out there who pretend to be experts. Let me tell you who the experts really are. They're the board certified dermatologist. You will see an MD behind their name like you will with mine. I also happen to be an assistant clinical professor at Mount Sinai here in New York, and I work with Schweiger Dermatology Group in the city. Which is where I go for all of my dermatology needs in Hoboken. So big yeah, fan. So, great one. That's a great one with great providers there. Yes. Okay. So let's jump right in. We have a couple different categories. We're going to start with general skincare and products. People really want to know about what products they should be using. So our very first question, what is really necessary for basic skincare? Cleansers, moisturizers, SPFs. I'm overwhelmed. What do I actually need and what can I skip? You know, Ali, you actually kind of hit the nail on the head. It's those three. You want to cleanse. You want to always moisturize after you cleanse because no matter you know how gently you're cleansing, you're going to be stripping some of the moisturizers from the skin in the process, and you want to protect, which means no matter who you are, no matter how old you really are, as long as you're past the age of six months, you should have an SPF on your face to protect you. Now, if there are any other issues that you are battling, like acne, like rosacea, or if you're just like every woman on earth that wants to help with the anti-aging process, you can add another step to your regimen. In fact, you probably can add more than one step, one morning, one night, um, and that can just be something that helps with collagen stimulation, that helps reverse some of the damage that you're undoubtedly going to do with life, but keep the, sim- the steps simple and few. The top three are what you mentioned, the cleanse, moisturize, protect, and then add one in in the morning, one in the night for whatever your other special needs are. Okay, what kind of products should we splurge on for skin? The ones that your dermatologist recommends because you are going to get bombarded by messages and marketing. You're going to walk down the street. There's going to be a million different stores. They're going to be calling your name, pretending to offer some sort of benefit with their creams and serums. But the reality is we like science-backed 
proof and products. We want something that we know and clinical trials have been done and people have looked into to prove that they're going to work. So some of the basics I would say is like a retinol. It's tried and true. It's pretty much mainstream at this point, but most big brands are going to make a retinol. I'm sure you've seen them at the drugstore and I trust them. They, they have the evidence and the work that they've done behind it to prove that it will work. The, the doctors, the scientists, the physicians have put the work into their own clinical trials to prove that it works. So retinol is a safe bet. I like peptides, antioxidants, a lot of anti-inflammatories, things that reverse the, the free radical damage that we get just by walking down the street. But the reality is you don't know if what you're using is stabilized, if it's standardized, if it's been tested. So your dermatologist has done a lot of the legwork on that. You can bring your products into them, show them, bring it in a baggie, and they'll go through it one by one to see what really has the proof behind it. What are some of your favorite drugstore brand moisturizers and cleansers? So my favorite cleansers are uh, Dove Beauty Bar, the unscented one. It'll say sensitive skin. It's like an aquamarine color and print. That is one of my favorite cleansers, um, probably um, followed by something like Cetaphil or CeraVe, the hydrating, so the non-foaming. I love that. I always say don't expect your cleanser to be some sort of crazy anti-aging miracle worker. That's not what it's supposed to do. It touches your skin for five seconds and you wash it off. The job of a good cleanser is to not cause damage, to create a good palate for everything that follows. That's what you want it to do. So I wouldn't splurge on your cleanser. Okay. What would you splurge on? I would splurge on a, a sunscreen if I wanted to. Meaning if I liked a $5 sunscreen, then that's appropriate. But if I liked a $100 sunscreen, that's still appropriate because the best sunscreen is the one you're actually going to put on. So I have people that will bring me these like ridiculously expensive sunscreens. Now, do you have to do that? No. But if you just love the way it feels on your skin, it is your favorite. You're going to be motivated to put it on in the morning. Then I actually do think it's worth the money. So I personally, I use a moisturizer that has SPF in it. Is that legit? Yes, it is. Okay, good. <laughs> make, make sure that you're applying enough of it that you're actually getting the SPF that it states on the label. So if you are putting a 30 SPF moisturizer on and you're putting on a tiny, tiny little thin layer, you're not really getting that SPF that it's marketing itself for. So you need to make sure that you're applying it appropriately. A moisturizer you can get away with. Oftentimes a, um, a makeup, a cover-up, something like that, like a powder that has an SPF, there is no way you're putting that on enough to get that SPF, which is already usually pretty low. So don't depend on your makeup for sunscreen. Okay. Can you shed some light on all natural skincare? What's your take on it? Do you have brands you recommend? And who should be using all natural skincare? So it depends on what you mean by that term, Allie, because that all natural term is sort of used by whoever wants to use yeah. it for whatever purpose <laughs> they want to use it for. So you have to be very careful with the labeling these days. People claim to be organic. They claim to be natural. They claim to be uh, fragrance free. They actually don't necessarily mean what you think they mean. Natural itself, even though it makes people feel much more comfortable about what they're putting on their skin, natural doesn't mean safe. Natural doesn't mean tested. Natural does not mean effective. So, you know, take that for a grain of salt. But if by natural you mean is organic, let's say, so whatever ingredients they were using didn't have pesticides or fertilizer, or if you mean by natural that there's no added fragrances, there's no parabens. I think um, probably one of my favorites for natural is like, especially for something like acne, 
I like a, a, a brand called BioClarity. I think they're pretty they're pretty clean. That's kind of their messaging is clean, green, never mean. I like a brand called Promise Organic. They also make sort of like their secondary line called Promise Organic Baby that has cleansers and moisturizers. So those are some of my favorites that you can sort of just find very easily. But there are many brands like Vanny Cream that um, maybe they don't look so glamorous on the shelf at your drugstore. It's like a blue and white labeling, very simple. They have really none of the bad stuff that you think of when you think of your creams. There's no parabens. There's no added fragrance. They rarely have things that are known allergens in their products. So when I have a patient that comes to me and they have an allergy or an allergic reaction, it takes a lot of sleuthing and detective work to find out what they're allergic to. My first move is stop everything that you're using, use Vanny cream products, because I know that generally the chance of an allergic reaction to something in their product is very low. And then we can kind of start off calm their skin and then try to figure out what was going on. And that is a, a pretty big company you can find in almost every drugstore. Perfect. Okay. This next question fascinates me because I'm clearly not like cool when it comes to beauty or I'm not following a lot of beauty influencers because multiple people asked about this trend of influencers lathering on tons of serums and eye creams and all this different stuff. And a lot of people asked, what order should I be actually putting on products in? What is first and what should come last? That is a great question. It's actually much more simple than you would think. So there are many different vehicles that active ingredients will come in. And you tapped on a few of them. We have our serums, we have our gels, we have our lotions, our creams, our ointments. So the best rule of thumb is the ones that have the highest water content go first. The ones that have the highest oil content you save for last. So you would put it on as a serum, you would put on a gel, you would put on a lotion, you would put on a cream, and then all of the ointment stuff would come last. That just seems, I mean, do we need all that? That seems like a lot of stuff on my face. Yeah, yeah. From one mommy to another mommy, it's a lot of stuff that we don't have time for. So what I like to say is, you know, the Koreans are famous for their 15 plus regimen. You know, they are slathering one step after another step after another step. The Americans, however, we can get the same job done in less steps because we are efficient. <laughs> so you don't need 15 different products. In fact, when I set my patients up with like their perfect regimen, there's only four, two in the morning, two at night. That includes the sunscreen. That includes all of the anti-aging angles I can get my hands on. And the reason for that is, is many companies these days are creating sort of cocktail creams that will contain 20 plus of the different ingredients we know will help with anti-aging, whether it's redness, brown spots, wrinkles, crepey skin, texture, whatever it is, they are putting things in there so that you don't have to reach for 15 different products. Now, if you just have a ton of time on your hands, I mean, who are you, first of all? But second <laughs> of all, sure, you could probably keep yourself very, very busy, walk into any beauty counter and walking away with like 25, 30 different products. You can find a way to do that, but I think you're wasting your time because a lot of those ingredients are redundant. They're trying to do the same thing. So they're, you know, you're going to max that at some point anyway. Just look for the smart products that are doing more than one thing at the same time. Multitask, just like we do during our day, our products should do the same thing. My sunscreen is not just a sunscreen. My sunscreen is my moisturizer and my sunscreen is an anti-aging cream as well. So I'm doing several steps with just that one. What kind? What are you using? 
So I, um, I use IntelliShade, which is a sunscreen made by a brand called Revision. It comes in a couple different forms. It has a matte, which I love. It has an original, which has a dewy look, which for whatever reason, everyone else loves. <laughs> and then it has something called True Physical, which is a pure physical blocker for people who these days have more and more concerned about the chemical sunscreens. So this is like a pure physical zinc titanium base. So you're not going to have allergic reactions to it generally. And it goes on a little bit more dewy. Talk about skincare on the run, since so many listeners here are, of course, runners spending a lot of time outside. What is the best way to protect our skin in the summer and the winter? That's a great question. I mean, if you're going to be a runner, you're going to be outdoors. A lot of it is time of day. If you're running out very, very early, you can get away with just a good base sunscreen. Try to find something as high that makes you comfortable, that goes on your skin easily. A 50 plus would be ideal. And then you have to also look to all of your sun protective clothing. So hats, a rash guard, especially if you're going out a little bit more midday. My little secret weapon as a dermatologist is a little pill called HelioCare. HelioCare has been shown to decrease the amount of radiation it takes to cause burning and erythema, which means like redness of the skin. So when I have patients who are truly allergic to the sun or have a very high sensitivity to the sun, someone who has lupus, someone who has melasma, someone who has a true sun allergy, this is a godsend. You take one little pill. It comes from the fern plant. It's a very natural substance. It is a very safe substance. You take it in the morning and you're good to go for a couple hours. I would still recommend every other sun protective measure, but it gives you a little extra boost. So if you are a runner and you're going to be spending tons of time outdoors, I do think that that gives you a lot of extra protection, especially over time because it's cumulative damage. If you don't want to look 80 years old when you're 80, you really actually need to put work into it every day. So HeliaCare is something that I've been doing for many years now, and they've been doing for much longer in Europe that I think gives me a boost. What are your top three recommendations for skincare for women in their 20s and 30s? Loaded question, but... Yeah, oh my God, I could go on for hours (laughs) about this, but I'll tell you. So my top three would be, one, learn to find the sunscreen that you love and stick with it. Two, don't give up on a regimen too quickly. It's like going to the gym. You're not going to get results in one day. You're not going to get results really in one week. Your skin is no different. It is an organ. So you really, if you're going to be on a regimen, you can't expect results within a really short amount of time. Stick with it. Don't give up. Give it at least six weeks, eight weeks um, before you just like toss it in the trash because really you will get you will get a major benefit for that commitment over time. And number three, form a relationship with your board-certified dermatologist early, not just because you need your um, you know, your, your annual skin check to, to look for skin cancers and your screenings, but also because your skin will change as you get older and you're going to see it in your twenties. You're going to see it in your thirties. And sometimes those changes can be a little bit distressing. The earlier you get some help to combat whatever those issues are, the earlier you're going to start to get comfortable with your skin. You're going to love your skin. You're going to be confident about who you are. My biggest issue is that people wait too long before going and seeing a board certified dermatologist. These are doctors that spent their lives learning about how to take care of skin. Why should you be going around suffering or feeling self-conscious about something that they have been training to take care of and they can fix for you? You know, I don't like seeing people that sort of breed this bad self-esteem and this low self-confidence because of how they feel about their skin. And I see it a lot. So start that relationship early. They will help you every step of the way. And while we're talking about women in their 20s and 30s, Speaking specifically to that demographic, what are you seeing 
women come in for most often? Like what's the most common reason people come to you? I think number one is confusion. Hmm. You know, they, they want to know what to do for their skin and they've done all of these things they bought off Instagram. They walked into these little beauty, um, these really big beauty stores. I'm sure you know what they are. <laughs> and you know, they'll spend 500, $600 on products and they'll come home. They'll try to do this. They're not seeing the results. And I think they're just frustrated and they're confused and they're really not sure if what they're doing is really going to pay off. Um, and so I see a lot of people coming in with their bags or products trying to just get direction. And I, I respect that a lot. So that would probably be one of the, the top things. The second one would be actually adult onset acne. I see that a lot in women in their 20s, in their 30s, whether it's because they are now getting off of their birth control and that has kept them in check, whether they just went on their birth control and their skin is going haywire, whether they are in their mid to late 30s, their estrogen is starting to decline and they're seeing a lot of adult acne that pops up then. It can be very distressing as an adult. And so I think the wave of that has been increasing a lot in the last few years. Uh, probably one of my top populations in my office is, is adult onset acne in women. Well, that's a perfect transition. Our next category is all things acne. So let's let's get into it. The first question, this one's not for me, but it may as well be, which is, I know it's terrible, so help. How do I stop picking at my pimples? Oh my God, it's so hard. So I would tell you that since acne is one of the number one things that I see walk into my office, acne picking and trauma to the skin follows right underneath. It is a very hard habit to break. Some of the best things you can do involve clipping the nails, because if you take away the tools that people are using to dig at their skin and traumatize their skin, you're already going to get a leg up. So keep your nails short and clean. Number two, recognize that this is a very difficult habit to break. So cut yourself some slack. You will fail every now and then. You're going to catch yourself picking at your skin. Most people that do this don't even realize they're doing it. It's an absent-minded habit that usually comes from nervousness. So when you find yourself doing, all right, move your hands down. That's okay. You're going to learn to stop as long as you're at least trying to be conscious of this habit to begin with. Number three, a very interesting thing that I have noticed is when I expose my patients to red light, LED red light, which is actually a treatment for acne and redness, I find that they don't want to pick their skin as much. Now, many different companies will make red light masks for acne, including Neutrogena makes one that's actually very affordable. I'll tell them just to go and buy that, or at least send under the red light in our office for a little bit. And for whatever reason, maybe psychological, I find that they are less likely to pick after that. And number four, which I think is actually the most important take-home message when it comes to picking. Most of the time, people and patients are picking at something. They feel something on their skin. Maybe it's a little tiny piece of dead skin. Maybe it is a little bit of a pimple. Who knows what it is? Once they find a little something to get their hands on, it's like all bets are off. You're going to go nuts and try to just dig it out. If you can keep your skin moisturized and hydrated and soft, you are less likely to attack it. So keep your skin um, kind of on a really nice regimen that's like gentle, use a gentle cleanser, don't use anything drying, immediately hydrate afterwards, both morning and night, and even if you need to during the day. But if you find that your skin is like soft feeling and moisturized, you are less likely to pick at it. Okay, so I woke up this morning. This question is for me. So I woke up this morning and, you know, in the little crease of my nose, like my right near my nostril, there was a whitehead. And I'm like, oh, easy. And just boop, popped. It was done and it was gone. I know I shouldn't have done that. But you're telling me I should just like 
hydrate and like go through life with that thing like a big white pimple (laughs) next to my nose like I saw people this morning I was out in public I don't want to be walking around with that and I can't just run to the dermatologist at 7 a.m. so is that really like should we all just be running around with whiteheads and stuff more often and normalizing this? Okay, so I understand your point, and I think it's a very good one. You know, there's a difference between very gently trying to clean a whitehead and then trying to literally dig out the cysts that are on your face, which you know you're not going to be able to dig out, but you can't keep your hands off. Oh, I'm really bad at that. Yep. Okay, so that, my first little lecture that I gave you was for that, that kind of thing. So I want you to hear my voice in your head when you start taking those, because you will scar yourself. Now, let's say you do have that scenario, a tiny little white head sitting someplace. You know it's going to kind of, it's going to open up anyway with a little pressure in the shower. Are you really going to run out like that? Okay, fine. I give you slack for that. I will say use a warm little towel to try and kind of open up that pore first. Very gentle pressure if you need to. Um, If it does not give and does not try to open up with, with just that, then you leave it alone and you get yourself an ice cube to settle down the redness and a little bit of spot treatment with a little bit of witch hazel salicylic acid that will literally dry it up quickly. I will typically give my patients something for spot treatment if I know that they're going to be picking at those little things just so they feel like they are doing something proactive and something that will actually give them an edge and dry it up quickly. So for those tiny little white head Whiteheads, I would say that was probably going to be my one exception. Yay. As long as you agree that if it doesn't give and drain, hands are going to be off. You're not right, going to fine. push it. Yeah. Deal. Uh, speaking of spot treatment, is there one, is there an over-the-counter one that you recommend that people can go out and buy or is that a prescription-only deal? You know, I will say that we actually do compound them in the office and I, I do love the one that we have. Um, it's called Vanish. To think of a second, I've never had to really think of a second. I do know that Mario Badescu makes like a little sulfur compound that works well. And I think that's, you know, I've never used it myself personally. I've heard really good things about it. So I think if you have to run out, that's not a bad one. Alternatively, a little bit of a topical antibiotic cream typically works well and is not going to irritate the skin enough to cause problems. Let's talk about some specific types of acne. One person asked, can any type of face cleansing routine really help hormonal acne or be honest, am I just doomed? She's onto something because no, no acne cleansing routine, no skin cleansing routine will really fix acne. It will only make it worse if you are choosing the wrong one. This is from a cleanser standpoint, right? So acne is you know, either going to be a super inflammatory condition or the non-inflammatory ones like the blackheads and whiteheads, there is no real wash that will do much because it touches you for a couple seconds and then rinses off. To really combat acne, you need something that is going to be on the skin overnight, at least for a few hours, doing what it needs to do to re-regulate those skin cells. Now, hormonal acne even though if you're going to be using a topical medication, you're thinking to yourself, why would a topical medication actually be able to affect hormonal acne? It's not affecting the hormones in my body, right? You're right. It's not. We're not changing the hormones in your body when we're using a topical, but that does not mean it's doomed to fail because the hormones are sending signals to the skin. They're sending signals to the oil glands, to the hair follicles, to those skin cells themselves. And that is where the cream will target. The creams that you are getting from your dermatologist or that you're using for your acne are going to help take away the fodder in the skin so that even if your hormones are doing what they want to do, those signals are not going to be able to trigger the same, the, the same cycle downstream. So it's not going to allow the oil glands to produce as much oil. It's going to help regulate the skin cells so they don't clog up. It's going to get rid of the bacteria so it doesn't cause a big mess. 
So you are not doomed to fail if you're using a topical medication regularly for your acne. There is hope. Why do I only get zits on my jawline and neck and how do I make it stop? That is a wonderful question. Um, We don't have enough science right now to suggest fully that this is a hormonal thing, but any dermatologist will tell you that it's probably a hormonal thing. So we see this pattern a lot in women. Typically, we call that around like the perimenstrual flaring, the week before your period. A lot of women complain of breakouts around their jawline and their neck. So we have enough anecdotal evidence to say this is probably hormonal. But if you really want the black and white, the the really serious clinical trials and the, the science behind it, we don't quite have that yet. But what can you do to stop it regardless? A lot. There are topical medications that will slowly help the skin to not create that big flare every month. There are oral medications that you can take that will help very greatly that are safe for most people. Um, There are options. So don't be so concerned that there's nothing you're going to do. You're going to always look like this. You're doomed. You're not. It is a little bit tougher and it requires sometimes a couple steps, but there isn't one case of acne that I have not been able to cure as long as the patient kind of stuck with it. Wow. Are there any, do you have any dietary recommendations for adult acne? Yeah. So this is the same sort of thing. The science hasn't fully, fully backed it yet, right? So we have a lot of evidence from a lot of people that suggest that high glycemic index foods will actually trigger acne. We have the same sort of evidence that suggests that perhaps natural growth hormones in dairy products can also trigger acne. But we can't really say for sure that if you have the most perfect diet without any of those things that you're not going to break out, right? So generally what I will do is I will um, suggest to my patients that they try to have a very healthy, well-balanced diet, and that will help them. It may not cure their acne, but I have found that people that have had severe flares may have less severe flares. So they go from really, really bad to just a little bad. So it helps, but don't get so caught up in that right now because it doesn't sound like that's the total answer. Why do I have acne on my butt? Ah, great question. So, you know, the the reason we get acne is sort of multifactorial. And sometimes there is irritation that can lead to the hair follicle to have little red bumps and little white pustules. There is an overlap with a condition called folliculitis. So as much as you don't want to think about this, even your tush has tiny little hairs on it, just like the rest of your body does. And those little hairs and those little sweat glands can get clogged and irritated, especially on your tush wear better. Your tush is getting, you know, you're sitting on it all day long. You're wearing tight leggings. So you don't necessarily have the most breathable fabrics on. Sweat can accumulate, heat can accumulate. So um, unfortunately, your tush is actually a prime target for acne or folliculitis. But it's a very sensitive area of the body. So typically even a body wash, a medicated body wash or something that really does just have contact for a few seconds will help decrease the acne flares on your tush. What is the best way to treat cystic acne? Number one, don't touch it. Number two, I know, right? Sorry. (laughs) Um, Number two, be very regimented about your 
acne medication nightly. Cystic acne is something that can lead to scarring. Even if you don't pick at it, it can lead to scarring. It is a pretty serious inflammatory condition of the skin. And it can have many different reasons. You can have it because of hormones. You can have it because of stress. You can have it because of different medications that you're taking. So if you get on a good acne regimen every single night, and that's a very um, ambiguous term, right? Like good. Your, your uh, dermatologist will help you with that. But some of the medications you've heard of, probably benzoyl peroxide, adapalene, salicylic acid, those things over time can help you. They require at least six weeks to reset skin. So stick with it. If you are still not improving, some patients do require oral medication. And you don't have to get nervous with the idea of oral medication. There are many to choose from. If you don't want to be on an antibiotic, you don't have to be on an antibiotic. In fact, there are even vitamins that we have shown are anti-inflammatory and will help with, uh, with cystic acne. Same with light treatments and lasers. There's a huge menu that you can choose from. It is a la carte. So no one is going to push you into getting something that you don't want to get. But I would take cystic acne seriously because there is a tendency for that type to scar if not treated. I am proof of that. My face is a mess because I pick at it. So don't don't be like me, guys. Allie, come into my office. We I know. Take care of that. I know. I'm I, I'm definitely going to. Now's the time when we pause to hear about our sponsor, Strava. Want to see every run I've done since giving birth in October? There's an app for that. No, really, it's Strava. I've been a dedicated Strava user for five years, and I can confidently say it has made me a better runner. That's truer than ever now that there's Strava Summit. I used to just use Strava to track my runs, upload photos, and use the social aspect to see what all my running friends had been up to on any given day. Now, with Strava Summit, I get access to training plans, I can create custom goals. My current goal is to just stay alive and not get injured because postpartum running is weird and I have access to live performance data. In other words, it's the very best place to nerd out on running stats during training, on race day, and as you recover from kicking butt on the course. The Strava app is free, and you can use the app itself for tracking your runs or track your runs on your GPS device of choice and sync it to the app after. It's super easy, and you can even do it over Bluetooth. No computer plugin required. Technology is so great. Go to Strava.com slash Summit and use code ONTHERUN to get your first month of Strava Summit free. That's Strava.com slash Summit using code ONTHERUN. Now let's get back to talking skin. Let's talk about sunspots and age spots. What should people know about them? What should we do for them? Sunspots and age spots are from chronic radiation, so from sun damage. And as we know now, even though we call them sunspots because they are brown, we used to call them liver spots, there's actually a lot of evidence that suggests that free radical damage and pollution can cause them as well. And they can look brown, they can look a little bit darker like black, and they can even have a little bit of underlying red to them. So blood vessels will also form from chronic radiation. So what do we do about them? Well, you're going to find them more on the face, on the chest, on the shoulders, and the back of the hands, because those are the areas that are getting the most sun over time. You can treat them with 
chemical peels. You can treat them with lightening agents. You can treat them with bleaching agents. You can treat them with lasers. There's a plethora of options. A lot of things that you've heard even over the counter, like glycolic acid, hydroquinone, which comes in a lower percentage over the counter than it does prescription, lactic acid, all of these things will help in different ways. Some will actually break up the melanin. Some will decrease the enzymes. The melanin is the, um, the pigment, the same thing that causes you to tan, the same thing that makes sunspots brown. You can break that up. You can bleach that out. You can exfoliate the top layers of skin so that the newer, fresher skin that doesn't have those dark sunspots underneath can start to show over time. There are many different ways to target it. Can you please talk nipple hair? We're really getting at it with this category. We're going all in. Yeah. I always yeah. wonder what is normal versus what is not. So a little bit of nipple hair is actually normal even in women. The question of where uh, normal starts to merge upon abnormal is a little bit tricky. Um, I will say that if you are noticing hairs in other areas that are not common for women that perhaps you should actually bring that up with your physician, bring that up with your dermatologist. And other areas would be on the chest. Some people will be noticing one or two or three or even more little hairs on their chest, on their chin, on their neck. Um, those are signs that perhaps we are moving into more of a male pattern hair growth. Um, and I think that if you are seeing some other red flags, perhaps even that your normals, your um, period is not normal. The cycle is a little bit abnormal. Maybe you're noticing a little bit of hair loss on your scalp. Some of those are other little signals that might encourage your physician to order some blood work and make sure your hormones are okay. But a little bit of hair, a couple hairs, you know, four, five, six on each nipple is actually considered normal. Excellent. Okay. This next question makes me laugh because I've so been there and it's amazing. And because you just mentioned chin hair. Is it normal that I will go from having nothing there or I swear nothing that I noticed to all of a sudden I have what looks like a six inch long hair coming out of my chin? <laughs> yeah. So there's two reasons for that probably. One is that why would it even, you know, grab your attention before it was really something long enough? Who's really looking there? So maybe it's kind of like growing from one different angle and you don't notice it till it kind of rounds the corner and hits you in the face. That's possible. Other things are that a lot of those hairs that are on the chin are getting plucked by people when they see them, which I understand. That plucking can actually cause a little bit of inflammation so that when the new hair tries to grow out in that area, it's growing into an area of inflamed skin that can cause those hairs to ingrow. And so it may just sit there growing under the skin until it really finds its way and pops out to the surface. And by then it's definitely a couple millimeters long. So not an uncommon thing to, to experience. Okay. Phew. That wasn't my question, but I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been there. I was on a vacation once and my girlfriend looked at me and she was like, do you know that you have like a huge hair coming out <laughs> under your chin? I was like, obviously I didn't know that. Fix me. And that's why we have girlfriends by <laughs> exactly, our side. Exactly. Exactly. I still say, I'm like, that's how I knew you were really good friend. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How often should women be getting skin cancer checks? So right now the recommendation is once a year, just like you're going to go get your annual exam with your primary care physician. You're going to want to do the same thing with a board certified dermatologist. There is really nobody better trained to give you a full skin cancer screening. They're going to check you from head to toe. And that's even if you have no family history of skin cancer. Now, assuming you yourself had a history of skin cancer or maybe someone in your family did, you may want to push that up a little bit. 
if you or yourself had um, a skin cancer at any point, many dermatologists will recommend once every six months. So now you're having two a year. There are certainly a lot of people that fall into that gray zone. They have a strong family history. They've never had anything themselves. Maybe they were just really bad when they were younger and did a lot of tanning beds and they're just super nervous because they already have a high risk, really fair skin type. I may recommend they come a little bit earlier, like every eight months. Stretch marks. Does anything really help? Does anything really help? Yeah. Does anything really fully fix? No, no. I mean, we're not quite there yet. Stretch marks have um, several different issues. One is, of course, that you've torn the collagen. So you have that sort of tear underneath the skin. The other is that a lot of times there are a lot of blood vessels that you can see through the skin, so they look really, really red. So the, the way to treat it is multifold. You have to get rid of the blood vessels. You have to stimulate more collagen. It requires multiple treatments. Now, you can get them to fade a lot, you can get them to blend in a lot. Have I really seen the perfect transition to just about normal skin? No, but you know, it gets really expensive. I have a feeling if you just had an unlimited amount of cash and you were gonna be able to get those laser treatments again and again and again, um, I think you'd probably get it really, really close, maybe still not perfect, but close enough to have you know your tush on the cover of some magazine. <laughs> Without airbrushing. Let like some celebrities we know. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> what is the best way to quickly treat painful ingrown hairs down there? Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, listen, if it's a really deep, really painful one, you know, I'm going to suggest coming in and seeing your dermatologist so they can inject it and just have mercy oh. on you. Because that, and you know, even if it sounds like it's that painful, it's really not. I mean, like one second and it's done and that little cyst will just melt away, which is wonderful. But let's say you can't in your home. I would recommend using a topical antibiotic and a topical steroid. Both will help decrease the inflammation and decrease the infection if you're brewing one. And then use a very gentle antibacterial soap in the shower with warm water. Do not scrub it. Do not rub it with a washcloth. Very, very, very gentle. I feel like I'm going to pass out. Just oh, no, sorry. Thought. No, it's fine. I have such dermatologist anxiety. Like I have Crohn's disease. I can get all the blood tests in the world. I've given birth. I pass out every single time I go to the dermatologist. So oh, go I'm figure. So sorry. You know, you need to do more of the fun stuff, Allie. Then it, you <laughs> yeah, kind right. of learn. Then you learn to love being there. What's the fun stuff? I mean, I get two lollipops every time. Oh, God, no. The lollipops, forget that. Don't you remember what I said about the high glycemic index foods? I don't need a lollipop. I need I need microneedling. I need my Fraxel. I need my Botox. There's a lot of fun stuff that you can do that kind of falls under the category of pampering or self-care. So I, you know, after I had my kids, I probably spent hours in the office just trying to make myself feel really human again and pretty again. And it works. All right. Well, that's what we'll do when I come in. We'll just have yeah. a super fun day. You got it. And I won't pass out, but I will no. still have the lollipops. That would be yeah. great. <laughs> All right. Deal. What are some common internal causes of rashes, itchiness, or eczema, food, stress, et cetera? So stress, I think, makes everything worse. We've seen it with eczema. We've seen it with psoriasis. We've seen it with uh, rosacea. You're going to notice a lot of people complaining about whatever their skin conditions are a lot more when they're stressed. So stress, I think, is an undeniable one. I think that food, you know, for some skin conditions, you'll notice that food will flare it. Rosacea is a prime example. These are patients that have 
um, sort of a sensitivity in their skin to many different things, whether it's spicy foods, um, unfortunately, even alcohol, sometimes caffeine. Other times, just temperature changes can cause them to flare. So if they're out in the sun a little bit or they're at the gym and having a tough workout and their core temperature gets pretty hot, they may wake up the next day looking very red and bumpy. So those are the top two. What is the best way to remove facial hair on the face and bikini line? I swear everything leaves me red and with ingrown hairs. Yeah, there, I mean, that that um, that person that wrote that question is absolutely right. Those are really common issues that come with some of the uh, more common ways of getting rid of hair. So plucking, the little epilates, the waxing, they leave a lot of people with irritated skin and then little bumps a couple days later. My favorite, if you are a candidate, is actually laser hair removal. You know, I can say personally, I did it many years ago and it has been life-changing. These days, there's so many people doing it. If you can find a reputable place, you could probably even get it for a very affordable price, especially in the bikini area. Now, to be a prime person for laser hair removal, it helps to have very light skin. It helps to have very dark hair. If that doesn't sound like you, there's still other options. You know, you can you can continue to wax. That will actually kill the hair follicle over time. But, you know, I, I think... I think I feel very strongly about laser hair removal because people, women, spend so much of their life dealing with hair in the shower, in front of the mirror, that I think it just frees up your time and energy to deal with something more important. Uh, The last question in this category, and you mentioned Botox earlier, we're going to talk more about it in a second, but before we do, is there any way to prevent wrinkles without Botox? It depends on the wrinkle. So some wrinkles that Botox treat Botox will treat, have to do with the uh, muscles of facial expression. So those are the wrinkles that form only when you're making like a funny face, an angry face, a surprise face, typically between the brows and on the forehead. The only way to prevent those is with something that stops the muscle. So really Botox is your only option there. You can try and minimize them as they try to form, but you will never win that battle as you will by using Botox. Now, other wrinkles are formed from sagging, bagging, sun damage that kills the collagen. These are typically the ones that you see kind of on the cheeks. Like when you look um, online, if you Google like truck driver sun damage, you'll see a truck driver that has one side of the face all wrinkled, the other side of the face all smooth. That's because he was driving for years and years and years and one side of his face got all of that sun and it causes the collagen to just melt away and degrade. So if you are good about using retinol creams and of course sunscreen to prevent the damage, but some of these other um, vitamin A derivative creams or peptides or antioxidants or a lot of those things will actually help protect or form collagen and can prevent those wrinkles over time. I'm like staring at myself in the mirror while you're talking and just looking and testing and seeing. I I think that mine are from smiling. So I'm not upset about that because I'm not going to stop smiling. But I did notice in the past couple years or like the past year, I would say, when I smile, I get really wrinkly around the outsides of my eyes. So those wrinkles, if they are right around the corners of your eyes and they are from the muscles around your eyes, Botox will help those more than anything else will. Now, the little lines that are sometimes underneath your eye, like that one long one that will sometimes form under the eye that will go towards the cheek, 
I don't think there's much that you really can do about that one because when you smile, your cheeks go up. This is for everyone, right? And so you have to fold somewhere. The skin has to go somewhere. Just like the ones around your mouth, those little laugh lines that people have on the, on the sides of their lips, um, those nasolabial folds are what we call them in medicine. You have to fold somewhere. You know, I'm not going to Botox those away. I'm not going to get rid of those because it's just going to look super unnatural. I think a couple lines, let them be. Okay. This moves us into our last category, which I'm so excited about, legit or no. So this is all like myth busting. We need you to explain some things to us. First, thoughts on clean beauty companies, that's in quotation marks, like Beauty Counter. Is it worth the money? Am I being scammed? So, dun, dun, dun. This is kind of what we said before. It's like, what do these labels really mean and how important is that to you? Is there something wrong with a little bit of fragrance? Is there something wrong with using something that isn't fully, fully organic? Like for your health? Probably not. If you're not allergic to it, it's kind of like saying, is there something evil about peanuts? No, not unless you have an allergy. And then, yeah, then it's really bad for you. But if it's not something that actually you have a problem with, your skin has a problem with, you're not doing yourself any really huge health favors by switching over to these clean brands, but maybe you do just feel better about what you're putting on your skin. And I think there's a psychology behind a lot of this. If you feel better about it, okay, then the argument can be made it's worth your money. If you want to put this question in a different term, do I only use those companies as a dermatologist who spent my whole life studying skin? No. All right. So I have to ask then, all of a sudden, you know, half of the women that I like went to high school with are sending me Facebook messages because they're beauty counter consultants and they know exactly what products I need, even though I haven't seen them in a million years and they think that we should talk on the phone. Can you yeah. talk to me about that? <laughs> I'm just yes. going to end it there and I'm just going to yes. let you, what Allie, do you think? Ali, I feel you. I feel you here. Um, I think, God, are we off the record or on the record here? We're on the record. Uh, okay. but we're, like, we're, we're on the record, but very uncensored. Well, then let me tell you, I think it's ridiculous. I think, um, I think everybody thinks that they know what to do for skin because they can see their skin. They can throw whatever they want on it. They can concoct their own things in the kitchen if they want to off of Pinterest, or they can talk to somebody who is trying to sell them something. And, um, and that becomes like the expert opinion of the day. It's causing a lot of confusion in the specialty of dermatology. And it's causing a lot of concern for a lot of dermatologists. I'm not worried about losing business. I'm making too much of the bad business, which is people that have been making mistakes with their skin coming in to correct it. We don't need that. You know, you, you would never think about treating your own cholesterol or your own heart disease by making your own medication in the kitchen or just taking your friend's recommendation who isn't a cardiologist. That would never happen. Skin is the same way people need to have much more respect for their skin than they've been doing recently. You cannot just take the opinion of somebody who has no understanding about truly what is happening on a cellular level and hasn't spent years really, really, really getting an education on it. I can tell you as someone who has been studying this stuff for many, many years, the test that we took, the board certification, the training that it takes, and I have to tell you something, I still have more to learn. As a board certified dermatologist doing this for such a long time, 
you know, I'm very cautious about what we do and science has to back it. So my recommendation is, I think people have, have realized that there is a lot of money to be made in the skincare game. And I think the marketing has just, you know, really pumped up in past years. Everybody is fighting for a seat at the table when it comes to selling skincare regimens and selling skincare products. And you have to be very, very careful because at the end of the day, do you want to know who's cleaning up the mess? It's us. It's the dermatologist. We see it. I used to keep a album on my phone of skincare gone wrong of all of these people that would come in with scars, inflamed skin, damaged skin. Um, and it was always from just, my friend told me it was really good. She was selling it to all of her friends. She said it was amazing. I saw great before and afters. You know what? I've seen them too. And I don't even believe half of them because I know the stuff that's really science backed doesn't do that. I know what medicine can do, what creams can do. So I think there's a little bit of a uh, misleading environment. And I think people need to be educated. So as much as we love your friends and what they're trying to do for a living, you know, leave it to the experts. So how do we get educated without going to the dermatologist every time? If I'm following this chick on Instagram who has gorgeous skin and she one day posts a whole bunch of Insta stories saying, this is my beauty routine. These are the products I'm using. Of course, tons of people are going to go out and try to replicate that. So how can we be educated beyond me calling you every time or sending you these Insta stories and saying, hey, so-and-so on Instagram used this. Is it legit? Like what how can we better educate ourselves on social media, especially? So you're right. It becomes very tricky. Um, so I think what you have to do is just like we've gotten into the habit of looking at the labels on our food when we go shopping, we know what we want in our food, what we don't want in our food, and we know what things do. We know what those nutritional labels mean. We know what protein is. We know what carbohydrates are. I think you have to do the same thing with your skincare rather than just taking someone's word for it. You know, you flip it over and you look at the label and you say, what is in this? What ingredients are actually in this? And what do those things do? And you actually can find that out. These things are all published. I mean, you know, I think it's going to be tough for people to really go straight to the medical journals and start rifling through them. <laughs> but if you even look at really reputable media sources, and I mean reputable, like, I mean, like, big name magazines that have fact checks that usually do look at the experts that talk to the experts. You know, some of these magazines have been for a long time. I mean, I get actually quite impressed at some of these beauty editors, some of them at, you know, Vogue, Allure, Elle, whatever, you know, when you want to know what licorice root extract does, green tea enzymes do, um, when you look and see what a retinol does, what hyaluronic acid does, kind of separates the fact from fiction. So rather than somebody selling you on a cream, I think they need to try selling you on the ingredient, which tells you why, like the active ingredient, why does this work? And that is something that you can look up yourself. You know, I think it's going to be hard because they're not going to do the studies on the product that they're trying to sell on Instagram. But if the studies were done on some of those ingredients, then I think it is worthy of your trust. So when patients bring me their products, if they don't bring me the box, I can't tell them whether it's good or bad. Mm. I can't. I don't I don't know what's in it. And I think as a consumer, we all need to be a little bit savvier about what is hyaluronic acid? What does that do? What is retinol? What does that do? You know, all of these little sort of it, it breaks it down for you on a more digestible level and that allows you whether to trust the product or not. 
Okay, so when we're done recording, we'll just have you give your cell phone number and everyone <laughs> listening can just text you pictures of the boxes. I think that is the best route to go. And I don't think that'll be too overwhelming for you. I think I, you can I handle it. I wouldn't mind. I honest <laughs> to God, I wouldn't mind at all. It makes me feel like once I'm educating people, that's what it comes down to. You will be able to fly free. It's like, you know, that kind of old saying, do I give them a fish or do they teach them how to fish? And I think that's what I'm trying to do here. Yes, it takes a little bit of work, but you're going to spend so much money on this stuff. Yeah. You're going to spend so much money. It's worth it. You're putting it on your skin. Trust me. It's worth it. All right. We have a couple more questions before we wrap this up. Jade rollers, legit or a scam? Scam. Oh, really? Yeah. I almost bought one. But I didn't. Well, it helps with lymphatic flow, like running anything on your face will. So you can roll whatever you want. You can take the toilet paper roll and roll it up and down your face and help move that lymphatic circulation out of your face so you can feel a little bit less puffy and stimulate the circulation. But it doesn't have to be a jade roller. Ooh, okay. I just saved myself like twenty six ninety nine, so that's yeah. <laughs> good. That's one less thing in my Amazon cart. Done. Right. Excellent. Exactly. Uh, sh- using straight up coconut oil on my face. Is that actually good or just an Instagram thing? It's an Instagram thing. Coconut oil is a high comedogenic oil. It's going to cause acne for most people. Why do you need to do it? I mean, I don't mind it on the body. It does have some anti-inflammatory properties, so I don't mind it as a moisturizer on your elbows, on your knees, but on the face, no way. Why is everyone all of a sudden getting lip fillers? No one looks like themselves anymore. Um, I have two, it's a two-word answer, actually, Allie. It's Kylie and it's Jenner. Mm. Kylie Jenner started this trend many years ago. It has completely taken off. People love it because I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't mind a little bit of plump to your lip. I think as we age, the lips age, they dehydrate, they look a little wrinkly, they roll in. So I think that it's smart to maintain them like anything else. But I don't think you need to start at 20 or 25 unless you really have lower than average lip volume. Some people just have a flat upper lip and I don't blame them for wanting a little more room for their lipstick. But I think, um, you know, it's a trend like any trend, like the Brazilian butt lift was big for a while. So it's just in a couple of years, it'll move on to something else. All right. The last question that we have for you, and I, I love this so much, and I know the person was probably kidding, but I like it. Can a sheet mask really solve all of life's problems? If so, which one? <laughs> no, I mean, it can't, but it can help. And I'll tell you why. Sheet masks have this occlusive property, meaning that, you know, they have something covering them and they have a thick layer of whatever this active ingredient is, which does enhance absorption of the ingredients. So I think that it does allow your products to work a little bit better when they're in sheet mask form as as opposed to just washing it on and washing it off kind of thing. Can it solve all of your problems? No. In the end, it's only on for a few minutes um, and then you take it off and then you do rinse it off or just rub it in. But they're fun. They make you feel like you're taking care of yourself. They can certainly hydrate. There are a lot of great hyaluronic acid masks that I think will help people with sensitive skin. So I guess the real question is, <laughs> it depends on what all your problems are, you know? And then, yeah, then I got a, I got a sheet mask for that. <laughs> I love it. All right, before I let you go, can you give us one last just like final kick here? What do you want everyone listening to better understand about their skin, about taking care of themselves, and about all the knowledge that you just dropped on us? So have respect for your skin. Don't treat it like 
you know, it's not the most important thing on your body or it's less important than your heart and your eyes. It is going to serve you well if you treat it well. So don't just throw whatever you want at it. Don't just, um, you know, in a cavalier way, just take someone's opinion and think it's going to make a miracle. Have a good relationship with your board-certified dermatologist. Start early with your skincare. That just means even sunscreen. But pick something that you can do that will benefit your skin and stick with it, whether it means moisturizing, whether it means using a gentle cleanser. Invest in yourself. You know, I had a really wonderful mentor one time that said, it's not high maintenance, it's not low maintenance, it's self-maintenance. And it's just as important as brushing your teeth every night. Perfect. This has been so fun. I've learned so much and I really want to come and see you and have some fun. I can't wait. I know. I feel like you've done all the the torturous stuff, Allie. We got some fun stuff waiting for you. I've done the, I mean, I shouldn't be so dramatic. I've just been, it's every time I go in and have to have a dang cyst drained, I pass out like every time, like clockwork. Poor thing. I'll have a bucket full of lollipops for (gasps) you. Don't worry. Thank you. I like the green apple and anything red or pink. You got it. You got it. I'll see you very soon. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sally. So raise your hand if you're going to make an appointment with your dermatologist today. I wasn't kidding. I'm going to see Dr. Nazarian as soon as humanly possible. And I feel like I saved myself a buttload of money today now that I know I don't need all 900 products all the big beauty influencers swear I should lather on every day. If you're enjoying Allie and the Experts Week so far, let me know. I'm Allie on the Run 1 on Instagram and Twitter, and I'd love for you to like and follow the Allie on the Run Facebook page. Only one more day to go during Allie and the Experts Week. Tomorrow, we'll wrap things up by talking brain training and sports psychology. In other words, how in the world can we all stop getting so nervous about races? How can we find the confidence to crush hard workouts? And what's the best way to emotionally recover from a rough race? We'll get into it all. Before I go, let's give it up for Strava for making Allie and the Experts Week possible. Go to strava.com slash summit and use code on the run to get your first month free. That's strava.com slash summit using code on the run for a month free with a purchase of an annual summit subscription. Six down, just one more to go. Subscribe to the show. Don't miss a minute. And thanks for joining me on the run.